0: Hi, everybody, Mike Hancock here, the chairman of the Circle of Excellence Group of Companies. And welcome to today's global intelligence update with a great friend of mine, Mike Southern, uh, from London in the UK. I won't give you his AKA because he may talk about that. I don't want to steal that from his speech. But uh, Mike, somebody I've known for probably about 15 years now, um, he's a musician as well. So I've uh, shared the stage with him a, a few times over the years um he is the founder of the beer mat entrepreneur which started as a a series of best-selling books and I didn't realize Mike how many there were in in the series in fact until I just looked at uh, the bio that you sent through to me I didn't realize how many Chris had sort of written that were on topics that you know were a little bit different but the beer mat for those of you that are in Australia or New Zealand listening to this is the drinks coaster and uh you know, really, this is the idea of doing business on the back. of Mike's got one. He's waving it right there in the thing. Doing business on the back of the beer mat. And uh, Mike will tell you how many copies the book sold, but it shot him to stardom for probably about the third time in his life because he'd already sold by the time he was probably about 35, I guess, uh, in the early 90s, that he'd already sold his first startup that was started up uh, with him and his buddies in the late 80s and... Uh, then they also on sold that, gave him enough money to retire and do what he wanted at that point of his life. So he's pretty much been wandering aimlessly since 1990. No, that's not true at all. Um, these days, he's a, a guest lecturer. and uh, And when I say guest, he's there every day. So he's more part of the furniture at one of the prestigious business schools in the UK where he teaches entrepreneurship. And I'm sure he'll share a little bit about that. Mike, it's great to have you on the call and lovely to see you again. Over to you.
1: Thanks, well, good morning, everybody. Let me just share my screen, get my PowerPoint up and kick the slides in. Now, by all means, put any um, comments you've got in the comments field, questions. I'll ask you questions now and then, um, but we'll just see how it goes. And there's any few, we can get into sort of one-on-one conversations as well a bit later on. So um, what I'm gonna do is, uh, I teach at Bayes Business School, part of City of London, it's all about mentoring the next generation of entrepreneurs, which is kind of what I'm doing. So it's a delight to be here. And a um, little bit of background, as we say in the public speaking world, you've got to sort of establish your authority pretty quickly. You know, why should you bother to listen to me? Well, as Mike mentioned, I co-founded Build and Saul, my first company in the 80s. It was a computer services company. These are my friends from university I've done theatre with. And they were just technical people. and They said, oh, you want to get into this Unix thing? And I said, what's Unix? I oh, don't matter. We've written a book on it. A Unix or Linux or Linux, as some people call it, this is the technology behind the web, behind the internet, behind everything. Every mobile phone's got this stuff on it. But back then, there were only a hundred people in the world who understood it. Two of my friends, they'd wrote the book. I mean, this great slogan then, which we also use now, which is, other people teach by the book. We wrote it. So uh, that was five years, literally three in a basement, to selling it to the largest computer services company in Europe, Capgemini. Um, then I started lecturing at what used to be called Cass Business School, because it was named after a philanthropist and general good guy, uh, Sir John Cass. I had pictures of him. There's a statue to him and all of that. Uh, then, unfortunately, they realised that he'd been a slave trader, so the Cass name went, and we now called Bayes Business School, after Thomas Bayes, who was a mathematician and statistician theologian. I didn't make a joke internally that you have checked his Twitter feed from 1724 in case he said the wrong thing, and that didn't go down terribly well. Anyway, so I started lecturing once a year at CAS in the 90s. Uh, at the same time, I was, I'd worked on 20 startups. Some did well, some did badly. You know, you learn more from mistakes, obviously. Uh, but after 10 years of lecturing, my lecture was less about what Unix and Open Systems is all about, but more, oh, here's another story from startup. And uh, one of the people just said, oh, you should write a book about that. So I thought, yeah, I'll write a book, Mike's Famous Life by Mike. Then I realized that was a bad idea. So I took the best piece of advice, which I'll show later, is um, entrepreneurship is a team effort. And especially you have a foil, your opposite. So my foil is a very brilliant man called Chris West, who I met when I was 13, back in 1967, at, our, at the very strange boarding school we went to. And he's a, a, a philosopher and a novelist. So he builds logical models and he writes brilliant books. So it's not 97 rules for doing a startup. It's more three friends go to a pub and they write on on these beer mats. So that came out um, in 2002, we sold 100,000 copies, dozens of languages. So I became slightly famous for that. I was always sl- already slightly famous for being a, an imitation 70s rock star, but I may not talk about that. Anyway, so we sold lots of books, and there's the book, and please buy the book. Chris gets the words. But I'll just throw this at you straight away, which is, you know, I've been around the block several times, as I can tell some of you have as well. And the guy told me about this I was writing a column for the Financial Times back then, and he said, "Did you know people go through seven cycles?" And I said, "Well, ooh, this sounds like nice formulaic content for my column." Far away, so I've kind of paraphrased them. This is how I paraphrase them for the students that I teach at the university, We're all undergraduates. So they're you know 21, 20, 21, something like that. So between twenty-one and twenty-eight, you know, have as much fun as you can. You know, get paid, but you know, try a lot of stuff, see what you've got, see what you've bad at. For these students. You know, they'll either work at a corporate when they graduate or family business. I'll go through your options, but you should always have a little side hustle you do. You're interested in something, you know, make a bit of money on the side, just your hobby, passion, whatever. But by the time you're 28, you should really start making some proper money if you've been to university or whatever. But by then, by the time you're 28, it's actually easier to start a business because you've got a network and what you're doing. You start making some serious money at 28. At 35, do something different. You know, don't do the same thing all your life, change what you're selling, in my case, do different things, try something different. Now 42 to 49, uh, this is when you're at the peak of your powers is what it said, so really go for it. Whatever it is you want to make a big success, i love do it, make lots of money, whatever it is, change the world, etc., etc. But especially for people like me and um, Mike Hancock, you know, 49 is when you start developing a bit of self-awareness, you know, I realized then I wasn't going to play football for Tottenham or be an astronaut or something, I don't know. Um, a bit of maturity and self awareness never goes, through. you know what you're good at, know what you're bad at, and your foil should be good at all the things that you're bad at, and so on. Uh, because you're building up to the big one, which is 56, you can actually confirm your legacy. So, what are you going to leave behind? So, children is a great one. We had sold 100,000 books. I don't know. There's something where you'll be remembered you know in some way. And then when you get to my age, because I'm 69 now, um, you can be a really effective mentor. I mean, Life is about being mentored when you're young. You know, mummy, daddy, how do I do that? And then later it's, oh, son, daughter, that's how you do it. So we're on a journey of being mentored to mentoring. And I'm sure loads of you have done loads of mentoring, but it's, it's a really interesting process, uh, the whole mentoring thing. So I spend my life mentoring. Um, the, um, the way I do it is I teach the university, but I'm actually mentoring, really. I mean, I'm, I do lectures and all that. So. Because mentoring, um, I say this to the students, um, Your success in life and business depends on your ability to find and retain mentors, plural, about anything, about technical subjects, people have a good network, whatever it is. And in the beer map model, mentoring is always free. Not everybody agrees with me on this, but my view is mentoring should be free given by somebody because they feel like spending a bit of time with you. They're not hoping for any financial gain out of it. They're just nice people and they want to help. you. Of course, you can pay for advice. It's called consultancy, coaching, counseling. And you can measure the value and if you didn't get value funny you can get the money back but mentoring is always free and i do loads of it i say to everybody i meet at every event oh if you want some free mentoring from me drop me a line." most people don't believe me and of course with this whole zoom culture we have now this works very well over zoom you know some have a quick half an hour with somebody point them in the right direction give them good advice connect them to people whatever but i do as much as i can face to face i do this with the students and when i do i did 200 and something tutorials with six of them Last year, and I saw a hundred of them in the summer to talk about anything they want, you face to face or via Zoom. So, mentoring is, is key to everything we do. Free advice given with a good heart by like somebody. Because the process of growing up, this is what I to the students. This is an old joke that many speakers talk about, which is when you're young, it's like, oh, look, little Michael stood up and he's saying something. Take a video, isn't that great? Yay, yay, brilliant. Say some more and stand up and run around. And of course, you get to school, it's shut up and sit down. So, this is when you get to primary school, they start beating the spirit and the entrepreneurship out of you. My job is to get it back from the students. So, um
0: well it seems that we do have a problem so let's kick mike out um just at the moment so mike we can't hear him so yep we lost him so that's uh, interesting i'll just t- let him know we lost you and he can come back in and come back in whilst he's whilst he's uh working out how to do that i did put a a comment in the chat there which uh which is a fascinating comment, I think, is that when somebody asks you to mentor them, I always ask them, who are you mentoring? And if they say, well, I'm not mentoring anybody, then I say, why not? And every single person has something to offer. So, you know, often you know, you, you, everybody on this call will be getting asked by people, can you mentor me? Can you spend some time with me? Can you give me some ideas, etc., etc.? So it quid pro quo, um, basically you have to make sure that they're actually giving back as well. So who are they mentoring? Maybe they don't know how to mentor on business. Maybe they know how to mentor on gardening. Maybe they know how to mentor on playing a musical instrument so on and so forth. But the fact of the matter is, uh, fascinatingly, the people that have constantly got their hand out to be mentored and to get something for free, um, often are the people who are the least willing to give of their own time backwards. And I'm definitely interested to hear from you guys um, what you feel about um, paid mentoring, whether you think paid mentoring is something... Or whether you feel that it's really should be coaching, consulting, etc., as Mike says. Shazar says, if they don't know how to mentor, then they won't know how to receive mentoring. That's such an excellent point, Shazar. They won't do anything with it. That is so true. So if they don't know how to mentor, they won't know how to receive mentoring, and then they won't do anything with it. Oh, very fascinating. So let's, uh, let's throw it around while we're waiting for Mike to sort out his technical issues. Isn't it so great for those of you that are on the call here in South Africa for somebody in the UK to have their power go down for a change instead of it being us? Because it's always us in, in South Africa. Too many people stand with their hands out so constantly wanting, says Diane. Um, oh, you've got a halo on, Andrew. I'm not sure why, but uh, that would be uh, something that uh, I guess... Uh, Uh, Only you know why you've got that halo. Oh, ESCOM, okay, yeah, right, okay, good. That's the power company in South Africa for those of you on the call who are not in South Africa. So let's ask you this question. I'm gonna ask you to go to the chat and say, who would be somebody that you would like to be mentored by for at least half an hour to an hour? So have a coffee with them, be able to ask some questions. Let's see if you come up with somebody on that um, on that space. Who would you like to be mentored by for an hour? While you're doing that, and the names are going in. Okay, I'm coming to you, Shazar, because you're the first person in there. Shazar says Arundati Roy. So um, why is that, Shazar?
1: She is a brilliant writer and she's, um, she is, totally works for the underdog and she's just amazing. I'd love to hang out with her for a bit.
0: That's fantastic. Welcome back, Mike. And uh, you can, I'll just give you um, your uh, co-hosting rights. You can bring up that slide again. Adrian. And why is that, Diane.
1: I think his journey of an entrepreneur is quite fascinating, but also he started with seed money and, you know, I work with investors. So it would be quite interesting to follow that journey of the money with Adrian.
0: Very good. Okay. It's great. Excellent. Well, it's a good question for other people to think about. And Mike Southern, back to you, my friend.
1: Okay. Sorry about that. I think Zoom died a bit weird. Anyway, so I was just talking about the process of growing up and then Employers are looking for curiosity. So I'm trying to encourage that in the students. So I do a general welcome to London because my audience, I mean, I'll have 600, at 511 last year, 600. Um, most of them in the room, some of them remote. They're all from outside UK, about 95% of them. They're from all around the world. Uh, so I go around the room on the first morning, say, where are you from, where are you from, where are you from? And make the point that, you know, you never have to buy a hotel room again in your life if you make friends here. I mean, they're, they're, they're really, really nice students. Not poor students, I have to say a few are poor, but mostly they have rich parents, family businesses, that kind of thing. So I just take them through the Welcome to London I point out the three most popular places on TripAdvisor, you'll know this one, Buckingham Palace, you've probably been to these, the Houses of Parliament, they all say Big Ben, which is actually just the bell in the bell tower, but you know, we can talk about that. And the London Eye, these are the most popular on TripAdvisor, but of course I say there is one place that your parents will probably want to go to, which is free, and I say, who can tell me where this is and who these people are? There we go. You all know who that is. That's the Beatles, you know, very popular band in the 60s there. They're at Abbey Road, which is not far from here. Um, it's a free place. And the Beatles, I probably know more about them than anybody else on, on earth, including some of the Beatles themselves. But I use them as a metaphor for entrepreneurship, just to, and you'll you'll get more of that later. So I, talk, I set the scene for the Beatles because here are the promises made by every university, including ours. The future's in your hands, academic excellence for business and professions and making global connections. Now, the challenge I have is that I'm in an academic faculty. And when they try and get an academic to give entrepreneurship lecturing to undergraduates, they crash and burn. because These are very sophisticated entrepreneurs from family businesses. If you haven't done it for 40 years, they'll tear you to shreds. They love me. I bring in guests. I do all sorts of good stuff. There's lots of content and it's a show as well. A lot of uh, academics tend to read from PowerPoint slide, which doesn't go down terribly well. Anyway, that's the prompts you get from universities. And here are their options on graduation. Um, They can do an MSc MBA if they want, get a corporate job. They can work for an NGO, a government, a charity, people that get funded from somewhere. Work in the family firm. Some of them are definitely working in the family firm when they get back. And my favourite is, I also, what does your family do? Oh, we have the largest condom factory in this part of India. So I thought, brilliant, he's going to work there probably. Uh, or I'm definitely not because my family does construction in, in Dubai, but I'm into fashion. Or maybe I will. I always say, look, if your parents have just spent 100,000 sending you to London for three years or something, some large amount of money, and I do teach you something clever like the Ansoff Matrix, please pass it on to your parents as a thank you for all this money they spent. There we go. Um, or they can be a self-employed freelancer increasingly nowadays. People work from home, do their own thing. Uh, but they could start a business. Of course they could. You know, It's harder when you're 21 than when you're 28. But what I do is uh, I talk about famous entrepreneurs. This is one of my favourite ones, who is Leonardo da Vinci. Great entrepreneur. I mean, he painted the Mona Lisa, but the nice story behind the Mona Lisa, his typical entrepreneur behaviour was, he never delivered it. Because I think he was in love with the lady in the picture. And the guy kept saying, where's my picture? Where's my picture? And I'm sure he said, well, your picture will be ready soon. But if you're interested, I've invented a flying machine. So do you want to invest in that and whatever? So uh, I talk about him. But then on the beer mats, I give them on the first day. I say, write the name of the entrepreneur you're, you most admire. On the back of the beer mat, I take them in. And, and it's always the same candidates. It's always, you know, Elon Musk, Jeff Bezos, Steve Jobs, Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, and one you may not know, because i got a lot of Chinese students, is good old Jack Ma, who started Alibaba. Now, he's a fascinating character. So I talk about all of them, what they did, and I met some of them back in the day, you know, Gates, and uh, I met Zuckerberg once, I met Steve Jobs. I know people who know Elon Musk. Um, Jack Ma, you know, he tells a great story about how he was rejected by the police and Kentucky Fried Chicken. When he got a job he didn't? Then with his university mentor, he started a translation agency was the first thing. Then he did China Pages, which kind of proved to everyone in China that the internet really worked. Then he did Alibaba, and he's currently in all sorts of um, challenges with the Chinese government um, about what he does and so on. But I always show videos when I can. I just thought I'd show to the students. They don't know what Jack Ma is really like, and Mike Hancock and I will sort of understand this, this reference. Watch this video. got lots of money to I got to pretend to be a, uh, a pop star called Mike Fabgear for many years, a sort of fake 70s guy with an afro. But anyway, um, you're probably familiar with Richard Branson. I know him pretty well. I've interviewed him a load of times live. And his story is one of failure. He had a student magazine which failed Virgin Records. He went to prison for one night because he was trying to sell records he hadn't paid tax on. His record company was good but he had to sell it because virgin airlines atlantic was about to go broke virgin trains lost its franchise virgin cola was a complete disaster virgin galactic was announced we'll be launching next year this is 2004 but then he has a crash and one of them dies then he finally does it and this is a, a common thread and i have a discussion with the students you know what do they all want to do these guys they want to have a blooming spaceship i mean good for them but is this solving the problems of the world no it isn't it's a vanity project but You know, if it makes them happy, you know. Um, So there we go. So I talk a lot about Richard Branson. But, you see, this is the thing about, oh, and then I talk about other famous billionaires. These are the ones where the students will relate to them more directly because I doubt if any of them are going to be Jack Maher or Bill Gates. You know, the chances are so slim. But they really aspire more to these people. So there's any idea who that is? Mike? I'll ask Mike the question. Who's that? Mike Hancock. Who's that? See how down with the kids Mike Hancock is.
0: Yeah, actually, I don't know. It's Kylie Jenner.
1: You should know this. Yeah,
0: okay. So there I don't know. That's why I don't watch the Kardashians.
1: Well, there what about this? Who's that?
0: Well, it's an old picture of Oprah, isn't
1: it? It's an old picture of Oprah, you know, made a billion out of doing broadcasting. That's this one.
0: Michael Jordan.
1: Michael Jordan, correct. Um,
0: oh, it's, it's not Kanye West, is it? It's
1: Kanye West, made a fortune, you know. whether you I like
0: can't him. stand him.
1: Well, he speaks highly of you. You probably don't know this guy. Yeah. Um, that's Doctor Dre. Pizza.
0: Oh, Doctor Dre. Of course, I should know Dre.
1: He um, sold his uh, headphones company to Apple for a billion. That's a uh, football. He may not know. It. It's Cristiano Ronaldo.
0: Yeah, Ronaldo. Yep.
1: Who makes more on Instagram than he does out of football? But uh, so, and that's just the power of social media. You know, that's yeah. So, Where's your photo? Sorry. Oh, your photo should be there. I'm not a billionaire. But the one I'm, I'm, I most admire in a lot of ways, never met her, is this woman, Rihanna, who's a billionaire now because she associates with LVMH, the luxury brand, which makes total sense. They've got some great handbags or cosmetics or whatever it is they sell. She's got the face of it. It's a win-win. And what I say to my students is, you're unlikely to be these people personally. If you are, come and talk to me. But you could be the people who work for these people who set the businesses up and make them profitable you know, you could be working at LVMH with Rihanna. So that's potentially how you get associated with a billionaire. But the, um, this is the thing about entrepreneurs, though. In our book, first thing Chris said was, what is the, he asked me, what are the characteristics of a successful entrepreneur? What, what personal characteristics do they have? And we came up with these. You know, entrepreneurs are confident. You know, if you can't get out of bed in the morning, you know, you're going to have a problem. You're going to be confident to. You know, push yourself out there. You've got to be charismatic, a bit like Mike Hancock is. You know, people want to talk to you. They want to buy your stuff. You've got to be charismatic. You've got to be full of energy. If you're lazy, this is not your career path. You've got to be focused, you know, all over the place, like Elon Musk, who's got 20 things going probably. Um, You've got to be ambitious. You know, you want to make a big success. Not billionaire, but you want to be ambitious. And you're in a hurry. You want it now, not like, oh, maybe next year. No, these are all positive qualities. And all of you are thinking, that's definitely me, because I'm an entrepreneur. Yeah, absolutely. Chris came up with this, which I thought was brilliant, almost on day one, which is, as well as being confident, entrepreneurs are confident as well as that, and they are arrogant. The borderline between confidence and arrogance is very narrow. Um, If they're charismatic, they could be manipulative. If they're full of energy, they're exhausting. If they're focused, they're obsessive. If they're ambitious, they're ruthless in a a nasty way, you know, just turning people away. And then, in a hurry, is impatient. And what I say to the students is, as long as you realize you have both sides of your character, um, then you stand a chance of being a success. You have both, you have to have both. And you have to deal with it by having a good team and mentors and foils and all of that good stuff. So here's my roadmap for my Bayes entrepreneurs. I say, look, start a business while you're still at Bayes. What do you mean start a business? Oh, okay. What's your, I asked them specifically uh, on Slack. I say, what's your passion or hobby? Not, not academic, just what do you love to do in your spare time? And they come up with football. There's the mighty Tottenham Hotspur. They like going to Premier League football. They like playing football and you know, women's football is huge now in the UK because of the recent success we had. So they want to go and play football, five aside. They want to go to museums and stuff. Um, they're interested in fashion. That's actually one of my mentees, who's a graduate from a different university. Who's a catwalk model, very smart, quite possibly the smartest woman I've ever met she's Latvian, of course she looks fabulous, but the brain there is, is just, and she's going to be a huge success. She's going to be a, you know, billionaire. So I hope she remembers me when she is. Um, then they want to, you know, sightseeing, going around, London. that's Hampstead, Heath, near where I live. They want, you know, cooking, going to restaurants, all that kind of good stuff. And yeah, they want to go to clubs. They don't put it down in their, in their submissions, but of course they want to go clubbing and have fun. I'm saying, look, there's money in all of these. You could arrange, trips to places to do this and charge money for it. If you make profit and people will come back to you, you're an entrepreneur, the rest is detail. So start a business at base based around your passion or hobby, just to work out how entrepreneurship works and how to deliver and how to make sure project management happens, all that kind of good stuff. Then when you graduate, start a company with a friend, a foil, and you become like I did, a multimillionaire. You know, that's a good start. So you're not going to your parents for money, you don't really care about money anymore. Then, then become a billionaire if you want. It's a very simple set of steps, hard work, long hours, if you want. And once you are a billionaire, uh, I ask them on the first day, when you're a billionaire, of course, what social problem are you going to solve? Because me and Mike are too old now. We can't do it. Uh, what are you going to solve? You know, is it world hunger? Is it poverty? Is it education? Write it down and do come and visit me in my retirement home saying you've done it. There we go. You're going to save the world. So save the world, why not? Don't go into space just for your ego. Do something good. And they they take this to heart, the good ones. And I know some of them will. Not all of them, but some of them will in their own ways save the world. And that's my that's my gift to them, showing them that it's not rocket science, as I say later. But you know, people say, well, what if I don't want to start a business? You know, I say, of course, absolutely. Um, we'll teach you how to be what's called intrapreneurial, how to be an entrepreneur in a large organisation. This is a major part of what I talk about live. Large companies, COVID, something's happened, market conditions, they've got to move quickly. They've got to be entrepreneurial or intrapreneurial. I've got immense amounts of material on how to do that. I've done it myself several times. I'm actually doing it in the university for the university now. We're very much stuck in the 19th century. So it could be corporate venturing. I teach people how to network. I teach people how to sell, present, and pitch. Not just entrepreneurship, it's what I've done all my life how to sell and negotiate, which no other university course does. I'll teach you marketing all day long, but how to go up to a stranger, start a conversation and close your first deal. This, is, this has been my life for 40 years and i show them how to do it, my numbers if you like, and then teach you how to be curious. So that's my goal. I'll probably start the first lecture next year with a lecture on curiosity, with a curiosity expert, just to get them thinking differently. So, okay, here's, here's my little quiz for you. You can write something in the in your little text boxes. Come up with one reason why you think somebody or you would be an entrepreneur, has been an entrepreneur. Just write something in now in the chat and let's see what people come up with. Name anything you like. I usually do this around the room. So I'll point to somebody. So just write one reason for being an entrepreneur. Here we go. Mike Hancock said freedom, prosperity, and purpose. Yeah, that's three reasons, but there we go. Solve a problem, yeah, because it makes an exciting life. Independence, these are brilliant. And any others? No, um, that's a good list, those are all right. You've missed the main one out, uh, which is this. To make money. I mean, money's not the be all and end all, but if you're not making money, it's a bad business idea. If you are making money, it's a good business idea. It's as simple as that. So. Let's make some money first and save the world later. So there we go. So next reason, and here we're going to get into the ones that um, I'm sure you you would put down, which is we go to work to make a difference to ourselves and our families. Let's be honest. Earn a living kind of stuff. Um, Make a difference to the world. Save the world. That's another good one. Uh, Have fun. You know, it's a lot of fun being an entrepreneur, not the days when you're nearly bankrupt. But, you know, generally it's good fun. Um, Freedom. You don't have to work for the person or the man or the woman who's some kind of idiot and he's getting to do horrible stuff. Freedom, freedom to try stuff out. Um, Some entrepreneurs tell me, I've got to be an entrepreneur, Mike, it's kind of in my blood, you know, I'm destined to do it and I'm thinking, well, here's somebody who's largely unemployable by a large organization, because you keep going in there saying you're an idiot and proving it and being let go and then eventually become a life coach or something. But the true answer to this, you know, all this, you know, the real reason is the following, which is we are here, this is something that Roger talks about, everybody talks about, you're here to create wealth. And I'll explain the difference between wealth and money. You've probably heard this a thousand times. Roger didn't think it up, everybody says it, is to create wealth. Because if you do create wealth, and I'll define it shortly, you'll be as happy as these people. Now I've no idea who these people are, they're probably actors or something. These are PowerPoint people who came from PowerPoint man But look how happy they are, they're clearly big entrepreneurs or something. So, a definition of wealth, which there's no origin to this. I can't find out who said it first. And it's a very good definition. If the real measure of your wealth is not the money in your pocket, not the money in your spreadsheet, not the money in your bank account. It's how much you'd be worth if you lost all your money. You wake up one morning, it's all gone. Maybe it's your fault. Maybe somebody stole it. So it's your reputation, how much people liked you, what you're good at. I mean, I like to think that if I was in a in a difficult position i just call a few people up and say can i do a bit of sales for you because that's what i do yeah yeah Mike, we like you and you're good at sales hopefully still you know um so that's it it's your reputation it's your guanxi as the chinese sometimes call it i think i pronounced that wrong because uh, here's how you create wealth day by day here's what you're doing you look you'll laugh at these these are three rules that are in every single Religious, spiritual, whatever system, everybody says, Oh, that's so true. And you'll laugh when you see them. I tell the students, right, do this every day. First, treat people like you want them to treat you. You know, it's so not do as you would be done by. So if you're shouting at a receptionist who's made a stupid mistake, you're having a bad day. That's bad. You wouldn't want to be spoken like that to if you'd made a mistake or whatever. Thing is oh, always help people, but don't get broke in the process. I mean, so many people who are. You know, always helping people all day long, but not earning a living. So you're earning a living, but you're helping people when you can. And here's my number one tip for anybody who has to do any sales ever is always tell the truth. I mean, because you tell lies and sales. I mean, it's so obvious. People don't come back to you and you never get a repeat sale. It's so obvious. And I'm sure you're happy with those. And I just say, look, if you're doing the opposite, your wealth is going down. And if you want to know where I I stole that from, it's brotherly love and relief and truth from Freemasonry. There we go. And the opposite of wealth is um, this guy here. You may not know who he is. He's a guy called Sir Philip Green. He's a knight and he's done nothing illegal. However, he took over British home stores. My wife used to work there years ago and stole the pension money in my view. Him and his wife got the pension money and that's the yacht in his wife's name in Monaco. And look at him, he's obviously getting some good dinners out of it as well. Now, if he fell off the boat like Robert Maxwell did and died, people would have parties to celebrate. That's the difference. Because all those entrepreneurs I spoke about, they're not very nice people, some of them. They're sociopaths and even worse, some of them. Elon Musk, Bill Gates, usually it's an issue with their father, but these are not nice people. So I try and make sure that I bring in people that are nice people. One or two of them are billionaires, but they haven't been horrible to people. They've been a bit fierce and focused, a bit scary, some of them, but they're not nasty people and they're saving the world in their own way. So don't end up like Sir Philip Green. Because, you know, our life goals, this is again straight out of Freemasonry, is live respected, die regretted. Oh, I might pass away, what a shame. Leave a legacy, there you go. That's it on a beer mat. And I put this in every slide I do, more or less, for the students, because they've got parents who run family businesses by, I don't know, murdering everybody in Kazakhstan or somewhere. And their parents are pretty interesting people. And none of them are educated. It's all. I've sent my children to university to get the education I didn't have I so can read and write and learn about the Ansoff matrix or something. It's a very interesting dynamic. So here's my first advice I give to every aspiring entrepreneur that I meet ever. And it's not, have a good business idea. It's not about the idea. Every business idea I've ever heard, I've said to the person when they say, what do you think of my idea? I say, brilliant, brilliant. Someone is gonna make a fortune out of this. Let's just see if it's you. Are you gonna be the person? I mean, true story, later today, I've got a, a Zoom call with a guy that went to my old school. I mean, much after me. His idea is a a bar, a nutritious bar, which stops hunger and famine. I mean, what a brilliant idea. He's 22, you know. What I have to explain to him is, nobody can fault your idea. Have you got the ability to execute? Let's make some bars first, shall we? Then, you know, how are we gonna go from there? Because his presentation is all about him. There's nobody else in there. People say, look, we love you, but you're 22, and you've got an accommodation address, I I like the idea of, what have you got one I can eat? It's about execution. And in fact, my advice to him later as all the entrepreneurs is, your idea is brilliant. If you haven't got an idea, I'll give you 20. Yeah, you'll love them all. They'll be fun to do. And you could make a fortune out of all of them. But it's this, find a foil. Find somebody with the opposite set of skills to yourself. So if you're some kind of pathological extrovert like me and perhaps Mike Hancock, you find somebody who's good at delivery. And if you're good at delivery and making stuff work, you find somebody who's an extrovert and can sell it. So, you know, best example of that ever: these two gentlemen. And you'll know them: John Lennon and Paul McCartney. Now, they were actually an introvert and an extrovert. John Lennon was sick before he went on stage. He was so nervous. He hated playing live. Much happier in the studio, tinkering away with Strawberry Fields, or whatever. McCartney still touring. Why? He can't really sing anymore. Bless him. But you know, everybody wants to go and see him. So, good luck to him if he's not appearing live, there's no point to life. And he looks into the face of God every time he goes out there, so I can understand why he does it. So an introvert and an extrovert is a very good combination. Or an optimist and a realist, yeah. We're gonna you know, stop world hunger. Well, realistically, you know, how are we going to do that? It's the yin and yang that Chris and I have. And the song The Beatles wrote together, which sums it up, is this one, and you'll probably know it. Because the first lyric is by Paul McCartney, the optimist, yay. Hey. The second lyric is by John Lennon, the realist, the pessimist. So have a listen to this. It's off Sergeant Peppers. So here they are in their Sergeant Pepper suits. Just listen to the words. It's to end
0: it. it's getting
1: better.
0: It's a little better. All the time, can't, can't
1: it's, time it's getting better. It's going to be brilliant. This is like, oh, it can't get any worse. That's the yin and the yang. And Paul says that sums up him and John almost perfectly. So you need these two viewpoints. I've got a brilliant idea. Yeah, but the problem is, and so on. That's the process of entrepreneurship. That's where that's from. So the other example for is there's Chris West. Now, Chris West is 50% of what BMAT is. I mean, his name's on the book. Without him, there would be no BMAT. Without him, there'd be no lectures. I mean, he, he double teams me on lots of the lectures now. We've got this yin and the yang. He provides a kind of academic and logical framework to make sense out of all my funny stories and experiences. Then we bring a guest in who says, well, that's so true, I remember what happened to me. That's why I have a guest every week to tell their story. They're friends of mine, it worked really well. Uh, he and I met at this place, Wellington College, back in 1967. If you've seen the the TV show, The Crown, which is this fictionalized version of royalty, it pretends to be Kensington Palace. You may recognize the building. Chris and I had the night sweats when we saw that. We thought, God, it's Wellington College. Very odd place in 1967. Um, but uh, that's where we met all those years ago. And now, um, when I give a keynote and they just want entertainment and with a good bit of content in it, obviously this is my talk, it's called Something About the Beatles. So there's John Lennon and I talk about, Paul McCartney, George Harrison and Ringo Starr. And of course, I get to talk about myself so I can get to be the fifth Beatle for half an hour or something. But it's what us entrepreneurs can learn from the greatest creative team in history, because they were. You may argue that Kanye West is better, I can fight that battle if you like. Anyway, so here's what we can learn from these people. Because here is the best entrepreneurial team ever, in my view. And it's John Paul George and Ring. Yeah, This is the hard bit of entrepreneurship, as I'm sure you've worked out, building the team. You start with the foil, then a few more cornerstones, we call it. So how did John Lennon put together this amazing team? Well, let's ask him. Well, from beyond the grave, obviously, here's what he said about how he put this amazing team together. Here's John speaking.
0: We were four guys
1: that uh, I met Paul and said, do you want to join me band? You know? and then George joined. And then Rainbow John. We were just a band who made it very, very big at all. But well, you want to make a note of that? You sit there, people arrive by magic. No. There were four of us in the band. You know, that's what he said. Well, look at that picture. That's Hamburg, 1960. There's five of them. In fact, the guy on the right with the glasses, that's Stuart Sutcliffe, who was the original bass player who stayed in Hamburg, didn't come back to Liverpool. So Paul McCartney took over on base. Then there's the only Beatle I know personally who's on the left, Pete Best. I know him really well now. Lovely fella. Unluckiest man in the 60s. Was let go, never told why, and Ringo took over. Now, everybody now says that was probably the right decision. Even he says it. Obviously, he had to go through a bit of stuff, but he's the most lovely, serene guy now. And this is the hard bit. You'll start with a team like that. You've got to get rid of two of them for some reason. And it doesn't work out. They fall out with you or arrogance. Da, 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 da. So, entrepreneurship, it's really simple, but there are some tough steps you have to make around teams and getting the right people and letting people go and so on. And the big rocket science we put in the book is if you've got a good service business, typically, and people want your stuff, some more people want your stuff, you can build a team to about 25. And then at that point, take a deep breath and stop and think, oh, what are we doing? We're going to stay a boutique business at 25? And all our customers love us. We put the prices up. They don't care. Then we just one day turn off the lights and go home. We've made lots of money. Good for you. If you want to grow past 25, that's a big decision. Simple advice, hire grownups. People have done this for 30 years. You know exactly all the difficult things about growing a business. And you step back as an entrepreneur and let them get on with it. So it's a big decision. A lot of companies stumble up to 50, then collapse and blow and go back. I've seen this too many times. But building a team, there's the hard bit. But it's all about critical moments. And everybody says this, it's about stepping up. So you stepped up today on the 9th of August, so you decided to do this and not um, do something else today. So good for you, you know, that's the first step in being whatever it is you want to achieve. Now the Beatles had won a several very interesting critical moments. Uh, one of them was on this date, February the 9th, 1964. Because so on that date, for some reason, nobody knows why or how, they were number one in America, which is their biggest dream. Oh, they loved America. They wanted to go to America. But they told their manager, Brian Epstein, we're not going to America until we're number one. Very simple advice. You can go there, bottom of the bill, tour for 10 years, and not get anywhere. So when we're number one, we'll go. Now, their first few singles in America flopped. And they thought, well, they just don't like British people pretending to be Americans. But suddenly, I want to hold your hand for reasons unknown to the universe, was number one. So they got to rush over to New York and go on the Ed Sullivan show. Live television. And um, they're petrified because it's live television. I've done live television as a musician. It's tough. It's all fake now, really. It's live. And they're told, "Okay, boys, on you go. Oh, don't mess up. There's 20 million people watching. So they go on. They're terrified. I'll show you the clip. Watch out for John Lennon, who's on what we call stage left or the right side of the picture. Watch what he does after about two lines of the song. So, first you'll see Ed Sullivan. We only had black and white right television then. And then just watch this first clip of what they played on the Ed Sullivan show that evening.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, the Beatles.
1: Okay so after two lines of the song John Lennon goes yeah because he knows they've done it, whatever it is. And it wasn't 20 million people watching. It was 70 million. First time anything ever went viral. And every American who was alive at that time tells me, I remember watching the Beatles on the Ed Sullivan show when I was eight years old or something. It's like an embedded memory for all Americans. So they were incredibly famous, incredibly popular, and they did really well. But that's a long time ago. Let me bring you more up to date. So here's a an entrepreneur in a, at a kind of sales convention with some of his prospects and um see if you can spot the similarity. Close your eyes and Okay, that's well, first thing is I have a feeling Paul McCartney dropped the key of the song by about a tone or half a tone in case he didn't hit those notes live. Second is that's a brilliantly edited film. It shows that, oh, back then everybody loved the Beatles, but everybody loves Sir Paul McCartney now. And look, there's young people, old people, white people, black people, every kind of person loves Sir Paul McCartney, isn't he marvelous? Let's just focus on one guy who's kind of my age. He hears that song and he bursts into tears. Now, if you want one reason to be an entrepreneur and change the world, it's that to get that level of connection with human beings. Because if you get that, everything else you want follows. Money, fame, whatever. now you obviously don't want all your customers bursting into tears every time I see you, but you know, I'm making jokes. But that's why we do what we do, to get that level of connection. And when you appear live whether you're speaking or playing, you know when you've got it and when you haven't. Because sometimes you're doing a gig and they aren't getting it, or you're not up to par, whatever. But when it's rocking, you just know. Then it's how do you make money out of them without upsetting them. In the McCartney model, he sells them T-shirts at the back and whatever. He makes more money out of that than he probably does from performance. There we go. So that's kind of the Beatles. Um, And I'll I'll just leave with a final word. Oh, sorry, there were a couple of questions. Yeah, Peter's a legend. How did Pete get there? Right, okay, the story was um, the Beatles played in Scotland with a drummer they didn't like, as the Silver Beatles. And they weren't really happy with the drummer, and they came back to, then their manager then, Alan Williams, said, congratulations, guys, I've got your gig in Hamburg, where we want a decent drummer. Now, they have been going to see a place called the Casbah Coffee Club, which was owned by the Pete Best family, Mona Best, his mother, whatever. And they used to go to this club there. And they knew Pete because he was in a band called the Blackjacks. Um, so they said, Pete, do you want to go to Hamburg? He's like, Yeah, sure. He didn't have any kind of audition. It's just like, have you got a drum kit? Get on the band. That's how he got in the band. They liked him as a drummer, liked him as a person. He went to Hamburg. Oh, and I'll, I'll tell you a great musician's story about playing in Hamburg, which Pete told me, which is they're playing eight hours a night or something at this Indra club. And their job was <coughs> macho, make a show, macho, macho, keep them drinking. That was their only job, keep them drinking. So they used to do long stuff. They're all on. Uppers and you know, they're playing all these hours, whatever. Pete told me this story that when they saw a bunch of people uh, going, Yeah, should we, yeah, should we, you know, we're about to leave, wherever they were in the song they were doing, they switched into Ray Charles's What Did I Say, which goes, everybody turned around, oh, I love this one, let's have another drink. So you alter the set, that's how they learned how to play. So that's how Pete got into the bad band. Anyway, so I'll give you a final word and I'll see if there's any other questions there. Yeah, heart to heart connection, there we go. Okay, final word from the Beatles, then we then can just have a chat, um, which is really straightforward. So this is 1967, it was a TV broadcast, again, the first global broadcast ever. And Mr. John Lennon nails the essence of being an entrepreneur perfectly. You probably haven't listened to the lyrics carefully in these eyes, but just think about them as entrepreneurs here's the Beatles. Yep, the man it. it's what I tell the students. There is nothing you can do that can't be done. Nothing you can sing that can't be sung. Nothing you can say, but you can learn how to play the game It's easy. Business is a very simple game with very simple rules. It's long work and hard hours, of course, but underneath it all, all you need is love. You've got to love what you do because if you love what you do, you'll never do a day's work in your life, which has been the truth to everybody from Thomas Edison to Confucius. So just do something you love. And I go to corporate saying, if you hate your job, please get another one. They never invite me back. I wonder why. So you love what you do. You love your customers because if you love them, they'll love you straight back and They'll forgive you when you mess up and stuff. You've got to love the universe, love, whatever, you know, it's easy and all you need is love. You know, it is as simple as that. That's from the Beatles anthology. So um, I hope you've enjoyed what I said. Um, Business is simple. We say that in the book. Please buy the book. It'd be lovely. Um, My call to action, because you always should have a call to action at every presentation. It's not buy stuff from me. I mean, you can have free mentoring if you want. I don't know. Um, it's just do momentary. Just spend more time with people passing it on. It'll break your heart when they don't listen or they do something different or whatever else. Uh, I have a class of, two, of 600. I know probably 200 of them by the end of the year. They're the ones who turn up, talk to me, talk to the guests, turn up to tutorials, do great examinations, and I know they're gonna change the world. And I say to them, if you ever want half an hour of my time via Zoom or face-to-face, you've got it and I hope to travel to all their schools and teach them there so there we go so uh, do more mentoring and thank you for listening so let me just turn that off I don't there's not a lot of people Mike I don't know whether you want to um just quit powerpoint stop share um there we go yes we're
0: gonna we're going to go to
1: any question